0: The inaugural KT Literary podcast. I'm Renee, an agent with the agency. I've been with the agency about six years now. And today I have the pleasure, nay, the privilege of interviewing the KT behind KT Literary, Miss Kate Testerman. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for organizing this. (laughs) I am very, very excited. Um, so I'm just going to ask you some questions for people who don't know about our agency or maybe um, don't know us very well. I'm just going to dive in and ask you a couple of questions. What brought you to agenting?
1: So I always knew I wanted to work in publishing. And when I first um, got out of college, I went abroad for six months. And then I basically started answering every ad for an entry-level position in publishing. And I was like, I knew I wanted to be there, but I didn't know what I could do. And my first job was at a mid-sized publisher located in New York, and I worked in the subsidiary rights department, which is the department inside of a publisher that, at the time, mostly dealt with selling paperback rights, translation rights, uh, book club rights, and we did a lot of mailing of bulk packages to our sub around the world and organizing meetings at the Bologna, Frankfurt, and London book fairs. Um, and after about two years there, I eventually moved over to an agency where I continued in the subsidiary rights department and concentrated mostly on foreign rights. But after a couple of years there, I realized that what I wanted to do wasn't just take Books that somebody else had found in the slush pile, or somebody else had knew an author and and connected them with an editor. I wanted to find the authors for myself and connect them with the amazing editors I was getting to know. Um, So I was still doing subsidiary rights, but I started looking at queries for young adult and middle-grade fiction as well, and slowly started building my list there. Um, And after about 10 years at that agency, I decided to move to Denver and I set up my own shop. I set up KT Literary in 2008. Um, So we just celebrated about 11 years in the business and have expanded greatly from when it was just me, um, a desk in the basement, a pink shag rug on the floor and a couple of dogs under my desk. Um, We are up to almost 100 clients now and five full-time agents, as well as an assistant. So it's been a long road, but I definitely feel that for me, subsidiary rights and that idea that my foundation in agenting was talking about books and selling them to people, whether that was paperback, translation, book club, my initial drive in publishing was always at that higher level of just let me tell you about this great thing that I read that you should read too.
0: I think it's so interesting. There's in selling books, most people think about booksellers. They think about people in bookstores and and librarians, but really that happens on the front end too with agents having to sell the book to editors.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I think it's, it's definitely a personality thing. I mean, I know many agents who came to the job through editorial or through marketing or sales. Um, but I do think I realized not that long after I gave up writing my own novel, um, which was decades ago now, that I hated it. Editing. I hated revising. <laughs> and I think a lot of authors are probably like, oh my God, yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. that's the hardest part. That was, and it was the hardest part for me. And so I recognized really quickly that the nitty-gritty of editorial work was not my forte. And so for me, agenting was about like falling in love with a story and then Same as I did when I was a bookseller, when I used to, you know, um, volunteer at the library, taking this book and going, you will love this. You should read this book.
0: That's amazing. So why YA and middle grade?
1: I think for me, they're the books that I just, you know, imprinted on. Um, You know, that Facebook meme that's sort of going around of like, talk about or post a picture of the 10 books that majorly influenced your life. And you're not supposed to explain them. Um, and I can't, I couldn't do that. But I just <laughs> recently finished, I put up my 10th picture, and I realized that nine out of the 10 were children's books. Or wow. what passes for, you know, we call them crossover now, but right. um, at the time a lot of them were fan- science fiction or fantasy that would be pitched as um YA or upper YA now. And I think it's because it was and it it still is YA and middle grade books are the first time that kids are picking books to read for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you have if you have a kid at that point who said, this is what I want to read and requests it and gets it, you can have a reader for life if you just keep giving them those books that they want. And so I believe that YA in middle grade helping to bring those books to the world is is so important. It's how we're going to be able to make adult readers. <laughs> um, you know, I've got young kids, and my son has been asking me every day since school started when he was getting the new Dog Man book, and I <laughs> ordered it from the Scholastic Book Fair flyer because that's my favorite thing. Yes. Um, And I'm like, it's coming, it's ordered, it's going to be in your classroom soon. But every time we go to the store or he sees another kid with that book and he wonders why he doesn't have it, (laughs) um, A, I feel like a bad mom, but also I feel like a good agent. Like, this is a book that he wants and it's not mine, but I'm okay with that because he wants this book. That's amazing. So tell me, what's
0: the most rewarding part of your job?
1: Getting to make that call or that email that says, hey, I just got an offer. Um, this editor wants to buy your book. Uh, That's a good feeling. That is a good feeling. <laughs> um, you know, and it doesn't matter when it's, I mean, it's it's amazing when it's that first offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is still incredibly rewarding when it's the second book from an editor who's previously bought it because they know, I know then, and I can tell my author, they loved your first book. Sales is so exciting and excited about the title that they've already approved an offer on book number two. Um, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's six books in to a publishing career. It's always exciting. Um, I am Lucky enough right now to be in an incredibly rewarding time in my publishing career. I mean, it's taken 20 odd some odd years, 20 some odd years. Um, But I am planning a set visit to uh, the filming of a movie based on one of our books. Um, And that is rewarding at a level that I never would have fathomed when I first started in this industry.
0: Absolutely. And to be able to say, "Hey, uh, how would you feel about your book being turned into a movie?" That's That's got to be pretty nice too. (laughs) That's amazing. So, I want to get into a little bit more of the stereotypes with agenting, or maybe some of the difficulties, or just some maybe dispelling negative energy around Let's do it. agents. Um that can sometimes crop up online because agents do stand in this intermediary place between writers who have poured their heart and soul into a manuscript and editors. And so mm-hmm. sometimes editor or agents get a bad rap for saying no to these people who have just poured their guts onto A word document. Um, so in light of that, with agents reputation for gatekeeping, um, can you explain to me, like, what are some of the regular pitfalls that you see, um, in this stage of the publishing journey where, when writers are trying to interact with agents? Um, what's some things that you see that, that they are doing that is automatically a fail for you?
1: I mean, I really, I really hope that I ha- don't have too many auto-fails. I mean, I will say I know what I'm looking for, right? So I'm looking for almost exclusively young adult and middle grade. So if somebody comes to me with, you know, an adult memoir or a business book, I could say that's an auto-fail, but that's just a lack of research. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean... It, it puts no quality judgment on the work. Um, it's basically saying, I'm basically saying, this isn't for me. And most of the time when I'm rejecting a manuscript, it is that this isn't for me response. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know that somebody else who doesn't, you know, who isn't coming at it, A a query or coming at a manuscript from my perspective isn't going to say this is absolutely what I'm looking for. So I do try to be as open as possible in terms of the genres and what I'm and the stories that I'm looking for within those two age ranges. Um, you know, I just want amazing stories that are really well told that I can get lost in. Um, you know, so I don't have anything like I don't have a pet peeve. You know, if you're going to start your manuscript by waking up or it's the sick, your 16th birthday, um, I will certainly advise you to, you know, advise writers to take writing classes, make the most use they can of a critique group, whether that's local or, you know, online, because there are pitfalls that any writer can fall into and if you can avoid it by having multiple eyes on your project before you send it to an agent, um, I think that's all to the better. The other thing that I did want to just kind of touch on or talk to is the idea that of agents as gatekeepers. And that's because I don't see me shutting the door. I see me opening it. You know, I think that 30, 40 years ago, this idea... You know, that any writer could send a manuscript to an editor at Random House, Penguin, Harper, Simon-Schuster, wherever. And they had as much of a chance of getting published as somebody who came through an agency. Um, Nowadays, publishers aren't even open to unsolicited materials unless, you know, an editor has been to a conference and said, oh, you can send it to me for X amount of time. So... I do look at my role as being a gatekeeper, but I'm the one who's opening the door and saying, you should come in. This book is so spectacular that I want to introduce you to all my friends. And so I, I want to do more of that. I want to, you know, get to be that person who makes that first introduction.
0: I love that. Okay. That's such a positive and beautiful perspective of of the whole process that I know can, can really get. Some writers
1: feeling down. Um, Well, and you know, the fact is, I mean, we are connected, authors, editors, agents, on social media in a way that didn't exist when I started my agency. Absolutely. Um, And it is very easy to feel sometimes like, well, I know this person. I interact with them on Twitter all the time. And I know what they're looking for. So why can't I just send them X, Y, and Z? Mm Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's good and it's important and it's right that it comes down to the work and that we still believe in a query letter sent via email, you know, with pages attached, so I can look and say it's not just about 220 characters in a single tweet to describe your project. It's about what is what are the words, what are what is the full story mm-hmm. and how can I fall in love with that?
0: I love that. So in kind of to follow up a little bit more on that question, digital publishing has really changed the game. Anybody, anywhere can publish a book. Mm-hmm. Um, so what role does an agent and more broadly, what role do agencies have in this new digital publishing revolution?
1: I mean, there are many authors I know who, are digitally publishing or self-publishing a certain genre or a certain sub-genre or style or age range because traditional publishing can't keep up with their output. If you can write six books a year, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Most publishers can maybe publish one Mm -hmm. from an author at that time. Maybe two. Um, So it's great for them to be able to self-publish and say, here, I can put out four a year or five a year, support them. But it also means that for those authors, they're doing or they're hiring out somebody to do the copy editing, the editing, the marketing, the cover for their projects. Or maybe they're, you know, they may be doing it themselves, but it's, I don't want to say it's lonely. It is a very, very much an inward-facing um, industry. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. I think that self-publishing is fantastic if what you want to do is have control over every aspect of your book's production and publication. If you know that you have the contacts to get it in front of people who can make an amazing cover, who hmm. can edit it clearly and cleanly, then that's wonderful. And social media has been great for that, to be able to put those connections um, together. But I feel that traditional publishing is still at the forefront if you want to see books in bookstores, if you want, um, you know, school library events, um, if you want teachers to be able to read and recommend and, you know, picture books, if if you want your book in the Scholastic Book Fair flyer, um, yep. it's pretty much got to be through traditional publishing. And there are other, certainly other amazing benefits to it. Um, publishing has spent decades bringing amazing people together under you know one roof to be able mm-hmm. to say, we have the best. Sales and marketing team in the business. You know, we have amazing book designers, et cetera. Um, the thought that goes into the layout of a book, you know, d- is every chapter going to have a drop cap or is it going to be that the first full sentence is all in bold? I never think about these things. Right. But there's somebody at a publishing house who says, this is what it means if you do this, and this is you know, we've looked at X, Y, or Z. And I think this is a better, you know, a a better method for the book. Um, I was looking at page proofs with an author for her book. And so page proofs are sort of that first time you see the manuscript laid out as if it's going to be a book. And one of her characters um, goes by her initials. And so if you do a drop cap for her name, which is where that first letter of the word in a, in a paragraph or in the chapter is, you know, an inch tall or half an inch. Then you're left with this one little hanging initial afterwards. And so we changed, yeah. you know, that, that's how the book was initially laid out with the drop cap. And we changed it because we realized that looked kind of silly. Wow. <laughs> um, but it is something that I never would have thought of. Of course. And only, it only caught my attention because the book designer had mentioned it to the editor and the editor mentioned it to the author. And so the author and I looked at it with that in mind. Wow. Well, that's great. I love the
0: idea that, that there's so much collected expertise at a publishing house.
1: I think that's, mm-hmm.
0: it just adds strength. It brings strength to people's books.
1: Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, there's this idea that authors might not want to have their books submitted or agents might not want to submit material to younger editors, you know, or assistant editors who are just sort of building their list. Um, And I don't believe in that at all. I think, first of all, there were, we were not that long ago. And I know how hungry I was as a young agent to find great material. And I know, you know, the executive editors, the senior editors, the publishers who started when I did, um, were amazing and hungry, so that even an assistant editor or an um, associate editor now who's building their list, they have that collected wisdom to rely mm-hmm. on. They have an amazing senior editor to ask questions of a publisher who is, you know, madly interested in helping them build their list and and create and curate. Um, an imprints list. So yeah, having having that whole team and knowing that that whole team is invested, it can drive you a little crazy when you're waiting for an offer from an editor who loves a book, and you have to get the approval from sales or marketing or publicity or, you know, an acquisitions team. But the good side of that is it means that when you do get that offer, they're all already invested.
0: Absolutely. And I can, my background being in editorial, I can absolutely resoundingly say that that is the case. If an offer is made, it is because it has passed every person's desk and they have all emphatically said yes. Yeah. All right. Um, well, this was such a good question from our colleague, Hannah Ferguson's Twitter, that I am I'm stealing it. It's so okay. good. Um, and I am really curious about this from you. Hannah says, what book gave you such a reading high that you've been chasing it ever since? And since you are an amazing agent and you always answer with client <laughs> books,
1: <laughs>
0: I I would like to know an a client book okay. and a non-client book.
1: Okay. So client book. I think I, it has to be what was then Anna and the English-French-American Boy Masterpiece, <laughs> which was the original title of Anna and the French Kiss by Stephanie Perkins. Yes. Um, it just, from the moment I think I read the first page, I, I fell in love with this character. I fell in love with this story. Uh, I certainly fell in love with Etienne. Um, didn't we all? Didn't we all? <laughs> really? <laughs> the short boy with the French name and the British accent. Yes. Um, and, and so that, that feeling on reading that manuscript and, you know, what Stephanie has come to do in the intervening years is something, I mean, if I could clone her, <laughs> um, that would be delightful. But if not, it is it is that high that I'm chasing, that I'm continuing to chase. Um, in terms of a non-client book, oh, there's so many good ones. Um, Maggie Stiefvater's The Raven Boys. Oh. I read the first one, I think it was like going home to my husband's family's farm in South Dakota. Um in a car. And like, I think I finished the first book on the way there and thank God had the second book on electronic <laughs> form to read it for the 10 hour drive back oh. and then ignored my kids and my family for like the rest of the Thanksgiving weekend to finish the entire quartet. I mean, I read all four books in like five or six days.
0: Lucky you. I had to wait for each one to come out <laughs> on its own. It was excruciating. I mean,
1: you know, it's it's funny. Somebody said, I saw an author on Twitter very recently saying you know for those of you those of my readers who like to wait until a series is out before you buy them like the final book is out so now you should buy them all and I responded and I said you know what I like to do is I buy the books I just don't read them right away brilliant so because I know and and <laughs> we know from publishing right like if you don't buy books one and two you're not gonna get three four or anything else absolutely so i do my best to always buy the books. And unfortunately, our to-be-read piles are towering, and I don't always get to them in a timely manner. Um, So I think in this case, I was super lucky to have not read them so that I could completely binge them all in one fell swoop over the course of an amazing week
0: magic. I, I read The Raven Boys in one sitting. My husband was like, Are you do you need to eat? I was like, No, I'm
1: reading. Leave me no. alone. No, I don't I don't need anything. Yeah.
0: I have everything I need right here. Um so one of my final questions for you is if you weren't an agent, what would you be doing with your life right now?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean I never had a desire or an interest in doing anything other than publishing. So, I mean, the easy answer is I'd still be working in publishing, but like in the subsidiary rights department. You know, maybe I would have gone from my mid-sized publisher over to what is now the giant corporate behemoth of Penguin Random House, <laughs> um, which is great because I, I like a lot of the people that are working there. And Absolutely. I think I'd have some amazing colleagues. Um if I wasn't in publishing, I don't know, maybe I would have made it work as the manager of the Gap Kids that I worked at before I got my first job. And, and then I could have made it be taken over and, and really invested that Gap stock. and. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't I don't think I could do retail for the rest of my life. You can't even
0: put your heart into saying no.
1: that. No, I can't. <laughs> retail? Oh god. Publishing or bust, huh? Publishing or bust. <laughs> maybe photography. Maybe oh, okay. I would I would put the books aside for a, a little bit and and go back to sort of making a go of a career as a family and lifestyle photographer.
0: Well, you would be amazing at that. I can tell well, thank you that for you. sure. Well, um, so in conclusion, um, this is something we are going to do at the end of every episode. Our agency prides itself on our boundless optimism. Truly, and I am not just saying this, the women who work in this company are some of the most hopeful, optimistic, beautiful, wonderful, happy people that I know. Um, so in light of that, What's a little something this week that's making you feel happy? What's
1: bringing you joy? Um, So my my Zoe, my youngest daughter, turns six next week. And her birthday party is on Saturday. So what is bringing me joy right now is the thought of finishing up this recording and starting to put together and bake her cake. We're doing a triple layer chocolate cake with pink buttercream frosting between the layers, a white fondant cover, and then I'm hand-making a Rice Krispie Treat fondant-covered hairdryer for the top because she's having her birthday party at a hair salon where they're going to do makeovers and a fashion show.
0: Because she's six going on 16.
1: Because she is, yes. Oh, that is adorable. My son, Sean, and I have been watching these YouTube videos that my client, Diana Peterfreund, introduced us to called How to Cake It. Ooh. So we started getting obsessed with like watching these baking shows um, again and making these. And so my son has his own little tiny YouTube channel with like Sean's Simple Cakes. It's kind of adorable. That is the um, cutest thing. So yeah, so we're going to we're going to be working on Zoe's cake for the next couple oh. days and that <laughs> makes me happy.
0: I love that. Mine is um also 6-year-old girl related. Um my I have 3 children. They are now 6, 4 and 2. My 2-year-old's birthday was last Friday. And on the same day my oldest lost her first Tooth. Oh, big and deal! It was such a big deal, and I'm not—I'm not here to toot my own horn. Um, but I—I I will compliment the Tooth Fairy. She wrote a gorgeous note, and there was a sparkly five-dollar bill. And I don't have to take credit for it. However, I did awesome.
1: Nice. So. <laughs> I love it. That's—that's that's impressive. We have not hit Tooth Fairy um, uh, necessaries for Zoe yet, for my for my almost six-year-old. Um, but we do have something that we started with Sean, my son, who's eight and a half. Um, the tooth fairy collects the tooth not from underneath the pillow in our house, but from a cup half full of water next to his bed. Aww. And so we put the tooth in the cup, when they're going to bed, okay, and in the morning, the tooth is gone magically, and the tooth fairy has left a shiny dollar coin in its place.
0: Oh, how wonderful. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's pretty exciting.
0: Aw, that's great. Yeah. I love it. Also,
1: frugal. And- <laughs>
0: Sure, my husband had to go to out to go get the cash because we never have any cash. And he came back. He was like, "Well, I only have five. As so I was like, "Oh, so you're start? We have three children. You're starting with a five dollar bill. That's going to get real expensive." Sir. I mean,
1: maybe it's like you you set it up as like that's the first, like there for you the go. first, <laughs> you get five. And it's like, you know, it's the opposite of a royalty escalation. You start at the highest number and you go lower. There you go. And that's how we bring it back to publishing people. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Drop the I mic. love it. Well, Kate,
0: thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me. This was wonderful.
1: Thank you so much for, for, for doing this, Renee. You are, you are a star and an expert at this.
0: I am so excited to be talking with you and all. please stay tuned because in future weeks we're going to be talking with our authors, we're going to be talking with other agents here at the agency it's going to be exciting good clean fun and a real swell time <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's not the tagline <laughs> <laughs> okay um, well, nice people, well, good books yes
0: Thank you for joining us.
1: You're welcome.